Hello, everybody. Welcome to Naked Security Podcast, episode six. I'm Paul Ducklin, and we are joined by our very own Naked Security Editor-in-Chief, Anna Brading, and she is going to be running the show today. So, Anna, without further ado, I shall hand over to you. Thank you. Hi, guys. Um, I'm here with Mark Stockley. Hi. Matt Body. Hello. And obviously, Paul Ducklin. So, WhatsApp. You wrote a story about it last week, Duck. Um, yes. Well, first of all, let's talk about WhatsApp. Uh, Matt, you're young. Yes. <laughs> What's uh, t- talk to us about WhatsApp? What's up with WhatsApp? What's up with WhatsApp? You say so. Uh, WhatsApp is used to message people, so you can send text messages essentially through it. But it uses your data instead of your text message allowance on your mobile. So you can uh, you can just send a message, or you can call somebody, send emojis, send gifs. Um, and my mum has now only figured out how to use WhatsApp and she's got no idea how to use her normal phone to call anyone. So she will exclusively call everybody over WhatsApp. Well, and that is the sort of core of this bug, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's my mum. She's a nightmare. No. <laughs> well, Google Project Zero Team found a bug in the WhatsApp app whereby there was a buffer overflow. That's a way that you poke too much data into an app at, the, at an inconvenient point, causing it to crash, maybe taking control over it and planting malware. In order to get the data in and trigger the overflow, that basically the crooks could make a call to you. If you answer, as soon as the data channel, which goes in both directions, is opened up, then the crooks send some booby-tracked voice data, crash your phone, and in theory, they could have taken over your phone by getting you to answer a rogue call. The good news is... Google disclosed this responsibly to WhatsApp. WhatsApp fixed the bug. And in theory, if you're getting automatic updates to your apps, it should now be patched and you should be have no more trouble with it. And if you don't get automatic apps updates, what should you do? That's a good point because actually whether you do or not probably should have said it's worth knowing how to do manual updates on an iPhone or Android because, of course, as soon as... As soon as the bug's fixed and the patch is out, Google's Project Zero will disclose how the bug works. And that means that everybody knows what to look for, including the crooks. So unfortunately, the the publication that follows the patch could end up being a recipe for the bad guys. And that's why actually getting the patch done in the first place is important. And for everyone to apply it afterwards, equally important. Otherwise, there's not much point in having it if you don't use it. And what is Project Zero? Project Zero is a team of bug hunters at Google. Basically, they're bug hunters that instead of working independently on bug for bug bounty commissions from one vendor at a time, their job is take apps, including Google's own, like their Chrome browser, uh, Android operating system, etc. Take all sorts of apps and operating systems and look for potential problems in apps. If they find them, they're disclosed to the vendor. The vendor gets 90 days to fix the problem If they don't, the bug will get disclosed anyway. And as cruel as that sounds, the theory is that that's a little bit of a stick to go with the carrot of good reputation. And it's designed to bring into line the kind of company that in the bad old days would just sweep bug reports under the carpet, do nothing about them and leave us all at risk. As bugs go, this is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Yes. Usually when you think about mobile attacks... You, you have to go somewhere and download a file or visit a web page and invite it in. In this case, the call comes in from outside and all you have to do is answer it. Actually, some people ask on Naked Security, but aren't calls encrypted? How can the crooks do anything with that? Of course, 
This is happening at the actual the layer at which packets are exchanged, and that's where the bug is processing the low-level packets. So it doesn't matter that the data above is unintelligible. In fact, what the crooks send can be garbage except for the bit that triggers the bug. So it is quite an interesting way of uh, breaking into your phone. So like you say, with Android security, most of the time we're looking for malicious applications like on the google play store there's sometimes some applications that slip through the net which are doing something which they shouldn't be whereas with this this is actually something that could be executed from anywhere where you haven't necessarily done anything wrong the only interaction you've had is just answering your phone to somebody just as an aside someone asked this on naked security many people most people perhaps have heard of whatsapp but many people haven't it's not installed by default uh, neither on android nor on ios so if you haven't done anything, if you've just got your phone and you've never used WhatsApp, the app itself won't be there. You have to go to App Store or Google Play and download it. But yeah, normally we, we think, well, I've got this app. It's a well-known app. Millions of people are using it. There's no underlying dodginess in the company itself. But there might be a flaw in the app that allows someone to sneak in. So the bottom line is there was a very interesting bug in WhatsApp. It was fixed before anybody was able to exploit it. So far as we know. <laughs> so far as we know. Make sure you've got the updates. Okay, so should we move on to the next subject? Should we talk about MageCart? Yes. So, um, they, so talk to us about MageCart. Mark, do you want to, do you want to cover I'll this do one? Yeah, I'll do yeah. MageCart. So MageCart are a gang of crooks. And they've been tracked uh, for a while now by a company called RiskIQ. Uh, and what MageCart do is they sneak code onto people's websites using a kind of an interesting technique that we'll talk about in a second. Um, and RiskIQ spotted that MageCart had snuck their malicious card skimming code onto uh, something called Shopper Approved, which is a plugin used by lots of different websites. So that's JavaScript, right? Yeah, it's JavaScript. So what they're doing is they're, they're preying on the way that modern websites are, are put together. So what happens with a lot of websites, you know, you visit a web page and you, what you see is a single document. So you tend to think about it as being, you know, like a Word document or a letter or something like that with some fancy graphics on it. But quite often what happens is they're built with a bunch of different components and those components actually live somewhere else. And it's only at the moment that you look at the web page that those components are pulled in from where they live. So, for example, if you have a Facebook like button, on a web page, when you look at the web page, you download all the components to build that web page, and that includes a like button which comes from Facebook in that moment. Uh, and what that does is it is it allows the component that's pulled in a degree of control over the whole web page. That thing that gets pulled in from third-party website yeah. into your into a web page from company X, it means the JavaScript that comes from company Y can then send data back to company Y, which means that the third party, if it's malevolent or has been hacked, can actually suck data out of your browser and you've been on the wiser. That's right. I mean, so this is, this is uh, it's a, a feature and a bug, if you like. I mean, yes. this is just part of the way the web works. It's extremely useful for things like uh, web analytics. It's used by advertising companies. They rely on the fact that the, the web works this way. And actually, in truth, it provides a tremendous amount of extra functionality for websites. So in this case, we're talking about a customer ratings plugin. So, you know, you're used to going to websites and seeing things like the TripAdvisor ratings. All of that is coming from TripAdvisor in real time. And it's, it's very easy for the site owner to add that code in 
But what it means is your security is dependent upon the security of that third party. But the script, once it's inside your browser, the script that comes from whether it's site X or Y or Z that it's sucked in from, any of those sites can set things like keyboard hooks inside the JavaScript engine in your browser, right? So that if you, if you source JavaScript code from 10 different sites, any one of them could be the one that's doing the key logging, and you better hope it's one that hasn't been hacked. And uh, JavaScript can, it can be used to uh, find out where you are through uh, geolocation. It can see what you're, you know, it can be used to see what you're typing on the keyboard. Um, it can see where your mouse goes. So you can, if you want to, you can take a complete recording of everywhere that someone's mouse goes on a web page. So it can essentially, it has total visibility of what you're doing when you're on a web page. It just gives the crooks one more way effectively to infect your web server without ever breaking into your web server at all. They just hack into one of your chums' websites that has content that you suck into your presence. Yeah, and you know we see this from time to time with advertising because advertising works on this sort of third-party code model. So you know there's an advertising provider and their code will be included in millions of different websites. So if the crooks can compromise the advertising provider then all of those millions of websites will automatically load up the compromised ads, and that's what we call malvertising. We saw a similar example, but with a less dramatic outcome, fortunately, in that the browser-loud incident, didn't we, earlier in the year, where somebody hacked into a server that provided JavaScript for text-to-speech conversion, commonly used on government websites in Australia, the UK, and the US. And so anyone who went to one of those government websites sucked in this code from the text-to-speech component, and suddenly government websites started crypto mining, thousands of them. Fortunately, that was fixed pretty quickly. And how will users know if they were affected? Uh, How do you even know if it's on the site? uh, In some cases, they can be quite uh, loud and noisy, Mm. like uh, CryptoJacking code, which is trying to consume as much of your CPU as possible. And, you know, that, that you're either looking at a Flash website or you've got a crypto miner when your fans start um, howling. But in the case of something like this, it can be very, very discreet and extremely difficult to pick up. So mm. in that case, if you are uh, a, a user, you would be looking for uh, some kind of security solution with uh, web filtering. Equally, you can use things like uh, browser plugins. So browser plugins like Privacy Badger, Ghostery or NoScript that allow you to exercise some control over the third-party code that you'll run. You're right. Web filtering can go an awful long way. But generally, you, you do put an awful lot of trust in people who operate websites that they ask you to trust. Yeah. And I, so one of the things I'd like to talk about is what those people that you trust could be doing. Yeah. Because there are some things that you can do. The first thing is to exercise some good sense about you know, don't go crazy, including third-party code. Be circumspect about the third-party code that you do include. Uh, You can use something called a content security policy header, which is a little piece of information that you send out with your web pages. And that says which domains you can expect, your browser can expect to pull code in from and run code from. And that protects you against uh, malicious code that's trying to load in extra bits of malicious code from domains that the site owner doesn't know about. And then there's another thing that you can use. It's called uh, sub-resource integrity validation. So you send out a, a checksum with the code that says the code that this this is the checksum for the code you're going to run. If your browser runs a checksum against the code and it doesn't match the one that we're providing you, 
don't run the code because it's been hacked. Of course, if a crook can, if a crook really has access to your server, then they could change the checksums as well as. But the, but the attack we're talking about here is that a crook who doesn't have access to your yeah. server. So this is a crook who's compromised a third party that you're relying on. So your server is sound. So your server yeah. sends out the checksum and says, "This is the checksum for third party code," and if it doesn't match. Third parties that takes hacked. a lot of discipline to do in the modern era, though, doesn't it? A lot of companies find that they, oh, they just want to embrace change and move fast and break things. So actually keeping those checksums of saying, well, I'm going to have this version and that version and the other version. Version control seems to have become quite sloppy. In well, I, I'm quite optimistic code. about this, to be honest, because you're right. One of the things that we've seen is that these third-party suppliers, they, they've sort of embraced this idea of continuous deployment which is, you know, the, the code, you never know what state the code in. It's constantly evolving and constantly changing mm. versions. And you don't know what version you've got. You've just got the latest version of whatever code that is. And if SRI becomes popular, I hope that it's going to enforce a bit of discipline on those and a bit of transparency on those providers. So if you're including, you know, advertising code from, you know, evil ad core, that you're going to have to know which version you're running, and they're going to have to make it possible for you to run a specific version. So they can't upgrade you without you knowing, without SRI breaking. So from Magecart to Sextortion, we've seen these kind of scams already, but um, what's new with this one, Matt? You're... uh... You're up for this one. You've got. I you can see a little got your own email. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've got. I've got Matt, email in front of dirty me. Boy. You naughty boy! Apparently, I've been looking at, at certain porn sites, streaming porn <laughs> sites, which have placed malware on my computer, and that means that they've got videos of me. <laughs> I think they've got videos of me. Compromising compromising positions. For the benefit of the people listening, you're not just confessing to something on air here. You're reading from an email. Yes. I feel like we should explain that. We should explain this. So, so what this is, is this is a scam that's going around. People, um, well, somebody or some people seem to have found a bucket of usernames and passwords. Um, my colleague, for instance, received an email which he con- was convinced in the subject line had the password for his old LinkedIn account. And that's the only account that he used that password on. So he received that email. And, uh, and that, that email was very similar to the one that, the, the, the little snippet of one that I just read out to you then. Why are they including the password? To, to, to lend us some legitimacy to, to what they're saying. They're saying that this is your password. They're relying on the fact that a lot of people reuse passwords everywhere. So they're then saying that they so have they access. So they're asking you to infer that the reason they've got the password is that they must have sniffed it off your computer. Therefore, the malware story about how they've been watching you on the webcam must be true. Precisely. And you have to send them money, right? Or else something yeah. happens. Yeah. This particular one to me is asking me for $1,000. And it gives me a Bitcoin address. $1,000 for what? Uh, for them to not release the videos of me. So that the, the videos that I've, they've got of me in compromising positions... <laughs> Um, don't go, don't go worldwide. So why would anyone pay this? I mean, because like, they because they're worried. Yeah, but the, like if you even if even if it's all true, it's not like ransomware. You pay the money and you actually do get the decryption key and you probably get your data back and you feel bad about getting into bed with the crooks. But in this case, you send them the money. Like that doesn't delete the files. But I guess if you're genuinely worried that they have got a video of you doing naughty things, then you might try anything because you don't really want your mum to see it or your yeah. girlfriend or. Oh, so, so this is so this is relying on the fact that there are people there are out people there that that, that, <gasps> oh. that that visit porn websites uh, and have webcams 
yeah. and preying on their fear that they have been videoed. Yeah. So we should be clear that this is an ab- this is a hoax. Yes. This is a bunch of people who are chancing their arm, sending emails to huge numbers of people and using passwords from things like the LinkedIn breach, which was a, an enormous data breach where people's passwords were uncovered and using those passwords as quote unquote proof yeah. that they well, even if, even if you know the rest of it's a load of rot, and even if it weren't, you weren't going to pay anyway, it's still quite worrying, isn't it? Because there's this personal information in there, and it does raise that fear, well, what else do they know? Watching on the webcam is one thing, but if they've got your password to one account, what other accounts have they got? Should you go and change all of your passwords? Should you reformat your hard disk, reinstall your operating system? I can see why this would wind somebody up. And in this most recent case, they're saying they're using the email address, so I guess they're they're telling you that they're in your email and they've got your email contacts. So I was going to ask that. So this is so these scams will be going around for quite a while. Yeah. So the new thing is that they're using an email address that belongs to you. Is that right? Yeah, they're using that as well. Oh, so the theory is that you're meant to believe that they've obviously got your email password. So they're actually sending an email from your, from, in quotes, uh, from your email address to prove, in quotes, that they have uh, hacked your email and they are in your email and they can access your contacts. The side effects of a data breach can last an awfully long time. Because mm. that LinkedIn breach was years ago. Wasn't 2012, it? I think. Wow. Anna's given me the signal. We have to finish. It's suspiciously gone dark outside, but it was light when we started. So, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Remember, you can find us on nakedsecurity.sophos.com and also on Instagram at nakedsecurity. Body's about to say something very trendy, isn't he? Catch us on the gram. I regret that so much. Can we not? Can we not do that? Why have I done that? Should I promise to cut Keep it out it and leave it in? Keep yeah, I'll it. leave it in. Find us on the gram, guys. At Naked Security. Uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.